love you. I really, really do. I love you. I hope you love me too. <laughs> I look into your eyes and I think that you're great. Stick with me for a while and I'll always be your mate. You know I'll always be your mate. You know I love you. So you're better you- than ice cream. Oh my god, it goes on and on. There's like three verses. (laughs) So, did you learn this from the cat? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I learned learned it from the cat. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. And welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. (laughs) Why is that? It always makes me laugh. (laughs) Which part? The whole thing? I think it's the way you say you're... I'm Anna, because it's always <laughs> kind of like in response to however we it is, started. It is a call and response. However yes. you say it is how I'm going to say know. it. Maybe we should start doing the opposite or something so that you're like, I'm Bonnie and I'm Anna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh. I, I think it's just because I'm tickled. I was, I'm tickled to be just, here yeah, with just, you. I'm just happy to be here. We're just having fun being here together. <laughs> You are the joy of my life, Anna Marie. <laughs> That's really, I'm glad to hear that. Gabe's there too. You and your brother are equally the Dang joy it. of my life. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> so Gabe- Don't edit that part. Gabe will be listening like, what? I'm going to actually gonna, like, like, dub modulate there. my voice and make it sound like yours. So it's like, actually, I don't even like your brother. <laughs> that would be very nasty of you. Like, Mom, can you ask me what episode it is? Anna. What episode is it? 69, baby! (laughs) 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 What are those noises? That's the sex noises. (laughs) 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 Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) It's a sex noise. (laughs) Anna, did we ever have a talk? (laughs) Do we need to have a talk? You've been married a few years now. Yeah, you know, when you do finger guns at a girl (laughs) and you get her pregnant... (laughs) Be sure to wear protection on your finger guns. <laughs> gloves. It's just gloves. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is a heck of a way to start an episode. A heck of a way, All I tell right. you. Should we refocus? Can I give you some reviews? Uh, sure, because we probably won't get any good ones after yeah. that whole 69 yeah, pew, the pew, ne- pew thing. <laughs> the next ones we get are like one star like, I thought this was a family show. Yeah. And Anna's talking about sex noises. <laughs> that is not the first time we've talked about sex noises. These girls are not mature at all. Not wholesome content. The okay. first one is from someone who actually found us through Get Vocal, our streams that we're doing on Tuesday nights. He says, Bonnie and Anna make me feel comfortable. And it's a five-star review. Aww. 
says, I ran across Viridian Sips on Get Vocal when Bonnie and Anna were doing their after show. I immediately felt very comfortable with them. Both of them talk about psychology on an educated level, but on a down-to-earth layman's manner. I would highly recommend their show to anyone who wants to hear about psychological and social issues. And that's from Lister's Mate on Apple Podcasts. Tony, thank you so much. That is very sweet. That, uh, to me, is a great compliment for a counselor, for somebody to say that they feel comfortable with you. Yeah, because that's kind of as a counselor, whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it is our whole thing. Yeah. So thank you, Tony. Yes, that was very sweet. And then we have one. I'm not, I'm not sure how to read this, but I'm going to try. It's a five-star review as well, titled, Yes! <laughs> Y-A-S. Yes! And it like says, it. wonderful, amazing, funny, talented, smart, informative, mother, daughter, greatness. Love this pod. <laughs> There's just clapping emojis throughout every, there ev- are. after every single word. Oh my gosh. So that is very creative. <laughs> that's from Bill on Apple Podcasts. Guys, I'm loving these reviews. Thank you so much. That's <laughs> These are awesome. That one made me laugh forever. The clapping one. You did it very well. <laughs> Thank you. It was almost cheerleader-like. You remember when you were little and I was trying to get you to be a cheerleader? You forced me to go to cheerleader camp? Yeah. And yeah. you were not having it. I was like, I mean, nah. you went, but you were like, yeah, this is not me, Mom. I am not doing this. But you just proved you could have done it. I could have done it. You just chose that not to. That wasn't me at the time. Yeah. I'm a different me than I was back then. Well, that's very true. You're all grown-up me. You're a grown-up married me now. That's true. Grown up married cheerleader. We love those reviews. Yeah, it makes you guys feel so, so loved. And and Tony did send uh, address his address to us. Awesome. So, yes, we, Stickers we coming. Send a sticker. Yes, please. That. When you do send your review, send us that physical address. Physical so address. Because we got a stack of stickers just sitting here. Burning I mean, a hole in our pocket. They're sitting somewhere I've got right them. here. I've got them. Don't I've got some at my house even. So, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's if fine. you run out, I got some too. So <laughs> I'm going to just start driving down the street, like sticking them on people's Throwing car. Throwing them out like newspapers. <laughs> Come and get your stickers. <laughs> on people's front doors, there's just a Freudian sip sticker. In the middle of their windshield. <laughs> that might cause an accident. Yeah, I would not do, do that. that. <laughs> I would not want the last thing they saw before their accident to be the Freudian sips. Well, <laughs> well, well. It's a good feeling. Talk about viral marketing. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So any any other pre-roll you got going on over there? Buy our what merch. is this thing you talk of where these viral, whatever that. <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying right now. <laughs> Sorry. I think it just had a small stroke. <laughs> okay. Are you all right? Wait. Did you get over it? Okay. Breathe. Breathe through it. Mm. Oh. Is <laughs> that your chair? <laughs> The bottom of my chair has this ring. (laughs) It has this ring that you put your feet on. (laughs) When you move it. Now, I probably won't do it when I try. (laughs) Yeah. That's the sound it makes. Honk. It's like a goose. (laughs) My chair honks. I'm sitting on a giant goose to record this. You have to pay extra to get a chair that honks. Um. I would like you to explain this thing we do where we're live streaming. Yes, on that Tuesday. <laughs> okay, viral had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I knew that was, that was some kind of computer word. <laughs> but throwing a internet. buzzword, she'll think I'm cool. 
Okay. On Tuesday nights, we are on a platform called Get Vocal, G-E-T-V-O-K-L, and we're doing live streaming where we go on and people can basically jump on like a video call with us and ask us like questions about psychology. Uh, last time we did it, we had a few longtime listeners who actually we know in our personal lives, we know very well, wonderful people hopped on and asked mm-hmm. us some questions about like the clients we see and just kind of general psychology stuff. So that was really cool. It just gives us the opportunity to have like a back and forth conversation with people who listen. Unfortunately, right now we're in kind of a late time slot. We're at 10 Central, um, 11 Eastern. So it's kind of hard for everyone to get there. It's okay if you can't because it'll also be on our Facebook and I think our Twitter afterwards as well. It's something different we're working on for a while here. Yeah, we're trying it out, see how it works. And if you want to join us, you can hop on Tuesday nights and, and see us there. That would be very cool. Yes. Okay, thank you for explaining that. You're welcome. Modern technology. Modern. Modern. Okay, episode 69, baby. Nice, 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 nice. Did we think about that it was episode 69? We should have done something sexy, huh? We should have done some sexy, sexy Well, Well, in a way. There's going to be some weird sex stuff in this episode. Because, Mom, who are we talking about? We are finally talking about... Finally. Anna Freud. Anna Freud. Woo, let's hear it for Anna Freud. All together, everybody Snaps cheer. for Anna Freud. Woo-hoo. We like her. We do. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, it's because her father is our namesake. This is the daughter of Sigmund Freud. The youngest child of Sigmund Freud. Yeah. Six can, kids. Can you imagine having Sigmund Freud for a daddy? Uh, after researching Anna, I kind of can. And it's kind of <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> Poor Anna. Man. All right, well, you are the history girl. So. So. I guess we should call her Anna. Is it? Is it going to, is it a. Anna? It might be Anna. Is that German? It's more German. Anna. Anna Freud. Okay, I might I might slip up because when I see my name written, I just I say it like my name. I just call her Anna because we're Americanizing her. Right. Yeah. So I do want to give a disclaimer here. I, I did look up other sources. Usually when I do these histories, I try to pull from several sources just because we've talked about this before that uh, sources, especially for early history of psychology, have kind of conflicting information sometimes and different biographies have different like years and different details. So I try to pull from a number of different sources and just kind of take the average. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, this year came up more. So that's probably right. the one that's closest. Right. Stuff like that. If it seems like I'm relying on Wikipedia heavily here, it's only because the wiki article has some of the funniest phrases I've ever read. And I will <laughs> I will note them when I get to them, but they are some choice wording. They're good, huh? Okay. So, Anna Freud was born on December 3rd, 1895 in Vienna, Austria-Hungary. She was the youngest of six kids of Sigmund Freud and Marta Bernays. According to Wikipedia, the family lived in comfortable bourgeois circumstances. Oh. I want that. That's the dream. (laughs) The dream is to live in comfortable bourgeois circumstances. I'd say so, yes. However, that being said, Anna really didn't have a happy childhood. She didn't get along with her siblings, especially her sister Sophie. Sophie was described as the more attractive of the two sisters, with 
Anna being described as the brains to Sophie's beauty. And, oh boy, we're already going to crack into some electric complex stuff here. Okay. Can you remind the listeners what an electric complex is? Mm-hmm. Electra is like Oedipus. We hear more about the Oedipus yes. complex. And the Oedipus complex is that a son is basically longing for, lusting for, in love with his mother. So Electra is that a daughter is yes. is doing the same thing toward her father. Yes. And that is a Freudian theory. Yes, that is purely Freudian. Yeah. Freud came Freud up with came the up. Oedipus That complex. was one of his big, big babies. Yeah, listen to episode one if you want to hear us talk even more yeah. about weird yeah. sex yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so the sources I saw said that Sophie was definitely their father's favorite like a lot of the sources i saw said that anna and sigmund had a really good relationship they had a very positive relationship both personal and working relationship because anna eventually went to to work with with sigmund right but that a lot of sources called sophie sigmund's favorite daughter and it was attributed to sophie being more feminine and attractive Sigmund even spoke once of Anna's age-old jealousy of Sophie, and there was a lot of discussion about Sigmund paying more attention to Sophie because she was prettier. Right, right. And that there was a competition for their father's love, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I see why you're squirming in your seat. However, I also, I think that happens a lot in families, that kids... Because of attractiveness? No. No, but... It was pretty consistently attributed to because Sophie was the prettier kid. But do we know that that's actually what Freud was feeling or is that just what people judged it to be? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't I don't know. It was just attributed to that yeah. from like biographers. It's creepy. It it's is creepy it's, yeah, if it's, it's true that Listen, he, if it was someone that wasn't Sigmund Freud... Yeah, exactly. Would be, you wouldn't would even be, question it. Exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> we know how Sigmund's mind worked. And it was not super clear because of the cocaine and it was super you know a little sex driven sexualized sexualized. like everything was sexualized a lot yeah so again that being said anna was pretty close to her father she didn't have a real good relationship with her mother she was instead nurtured by her catholic maid josephine after josephine died anna was described as calling josephine the oldest relation and the most genuine of my childhood oh yeah isn't that sad I didn't read a lot about Mrs. Freud. I didn't read a lot about her mom. I didn't see a lot about her. I don't think there is a lot. There's not a lot mentioned about her. You kind of get overshadowed when your husband is Sigmund Freud. Exactly. Yeah. In general, also, she just had a troubled childhood besides being really competitive with her siblings, especially Sophie. Anna was often sent to health farms for thorough rest, salutary walks, and some extra pounds to fill out her all-too-slender shape. Wow. Yeah. She does always look very slender in the pictures that you see. She's, She's yeah. kind of boyish. She does have a little a little bit of a tomboy thing, mm-hmm. but I, I think that that was because she like really leaned into the I'm the brains thing. Yeah. That's my merit. She didn't, she didn't try to be right. real feminine. Yeah. Actually, her slender shape, it seems that she may have suffered from an eating disorder and depression even when she was in childhood. So that's probably why she got sent to these quote unquote health farms. She was also, though, lively, and she had kind of a reputation for mischief, which is kind of interesting. Freud wrote to a friend, man, I hate this, Anna has become downright beautiful through naughtiness. I don't like it. (laughs) 
I get it. I get, get. See, I think that you have a bias that when you read those things, you automatically kick into Freud's a creep. Okay. Freud's a pervert. Yeah, I do. Because, because I read I, the rest of the story. Right, right. <laughs> if I just heard that quote and didn't know who, if that was just a parent talking about their child, I would say that it was like a weird, weird way to say it. But probably not malicious. And I don't think it was malicious either. I I don't think Freud was... I'm not saying like, oh, Freud was abusing his kids. Freud was this, Freud was that. I I think Freud had some weird ways to look at the world. And I think that anyone who looks at the world through the framework that Freud looked at it through is in danger of being a little creepy. I agree. Okay, fair enough. Let's talk about her schooling, of which there is not a lot to say. Uh, She was actually pretty open about how she didn't learn a lot in school. And instead, she learned more from being around her father and his guests at home. Through this, she apparently picked up how to learn several different languages. She was, it seems like, pretty active in their intellectual discussion. Uh, Mm. She was just involved in that. And again, I think that's because she was leaning on that she was really smart. I mean, she generally was just a really intelligent kid. But she did attend the Salka Goldman Cottage Lyceum, which was an all-female school for teaching. Uh, She started in the school at 10. She had had some schooling before that, starting when she was six. But then at 10, she went into the Lyceum. And in her school career, she was lauded for her, I mean, her intellect in general, but especially her extraordinary memory. Hmm. Salka Goldman, the founder herself... Uh, wrote that Anna showed great zeal for all her responsibilities, but she was particularly appreciated for her conscientious preparations and for her gift for teaching. Cool. So, yeah. While Anna was here, she did suffer from further depression, and it was confirmed that she had anorexia. She was especially worried about her future. Even though she was in this lyceum specifically for teaching, I I think she was just really self-conscious about what she was going to do. But she shouldn't have been worried about that because she did so well at the lyceum that she was given a position on the staff like almost immediately after Mm. she graduated. She stayed on staff at the Lyceum for several years. This started in 1914. And while she was working as a teacher, she was also really into her father's work. Uh, She was actually translating her father's works. Okay, this is confusing. Maybe you can help me figure this out. In a couple, well, in one source I saw, it said translating her father's works into German. And then the other sources said that she was just translating them. Is that a mistype? Because they would have been in German originally, right? right? Yeah. I think they would have been German originally. Yeah. So she was probably translating it away from German. Yeah, to other things. But uh, I need to pause for a minute and just say 1914. Yeah. You know, like to have those thoughts, even like, what am I going to do? A woman in 1914, what you did was you got married and you had babies. Right. You didn't, it's not like you thought about. Or a teacher. I mean, that's like the only career choice, right? and, And being a teacher would be kind of, oh my gosh, you know. Right. That's a... But it, maybe, it basically that, meant maybe you that's em- why she was freaking out. You were embracing being basically single and not having your own children because that's kind of who the teachers were. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot there culturally and because of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, like, I, obviously I, I've grown up in a very different time, but Anna seemed really ahead of her time just yeah. in terms of being independent and wanting to do a lot. And so I can understand if that's just the main reason she was, I mean, if she didn't want to be a teacher, if she wanted to work with her father's theories and Mm -hmm. she's basically being told, wow, you're such a good teacher. She's like, I don't want to. 
Yeah. I hate that. But I think that she, as we go on and talk about her, I think she really had a desire to work with children. Yeah, and had yeah. A, I, had a call, so to speak, to work with children. So she probably felt that as being a teacher, you know. Right. Being a teacher would be answering that. Yeah. And I think she was good with them. Yeah. I mean, I think that she really mm-hmm. excelled at that. So she was at the Lyceum. She did end up resigning from teaching due to multiple episodes of illness, but I wasn't able to figure out what those were, or maybe they didn't know. I don't know. But it seemed like she was having health problems, which if she was having chronic depression and anorexia, Anorexia. that makes sense. She decided to use the opportunity after she resigned from teaching to go help with her father's studies, though. So she became the librarian of the Viennese Psychoanalytic Association. Around this time, she also presented her paper, Beating Fantasies in Daydreams, to the... (laughs) It was either the Viennese Psychoanalytic Association or Vienna Psychoanalytical Society. It had two names. It might have had two names or they might be different. Who knows? Not me. Because <laughs> the timelines and the names are a little wacky, like I said, depending on what source you look at. So uh, let's just say Anna was very involved with the psychoanalytic movement and with various associations heretofore <laughs> there with... Well, that's a lot of words. Quid pro quo QED. So... <laughs> Uh, around this time, she was also influential to Eric Erickson, who we know from the longest series we've ever done <laughs> on this podcast. Well, live it on was, in infamy. It was it was five episodes, by the way. Oh, no, that's, that's not so bad. Yeah. So if you want to listen to more about Eric Erickson, go to episodes seventeen through twenty-one. Any and they of were, them. Each one was better than the one Any before. Of them. <laughs> no, I think 17 was mostly about Erickson. So go listen to that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was... So, like, did he work with her or was he, like, a student under her, sort of? Um, he, I think he's a neo-Freudian, right? So he would have right. just been in the Psychoanalytic Association. Okay. Um, or just in that group, okay. I guess, in that movement. But, yeah, she was very influential to him, uh, maybe just because of the, like, gear toward childhood and gear toward development. Development, that's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, around 1925, she was the secretary of the International Psychoanalytical Association while also continuing to study child analysis. That was kind of her main thing. She yep. wanted to study children. Right. Among the first kids Anna took into analysis were the kids of Dorothy Burlingham, heiress to Tiffany & Co. Yeah, that one. Like breakfast at Tiffany's. Like Tiffany jewelry. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Anna and Dorothy. Oh, here's another great Wikipedia thing. Anna and Dorothy soon developed intimate relations that closely resembled those of lesbians. (laughs) Closely resembled. (laughs) Okay. So from the beginning, I felt like she was a lesbian. Didn't you? We will return to this. Okay. I do I do want to have a frank and open discussion okay. about sexual identity. So I think that's why she was struggling so much with her anorexia and all I, that. I do think that that did probably play a part in it. Because in nineteen fourteen, it's not like you were a lesbian. Yeah. And and that being said, Anna did it said she categorically denied the existence of a sexual relationship. Of course she did. Yeah. 
After the Burlinghams moved into the same apartment block as she was in, though, she basically became the step-parent of Dorothy's kids. She was really involved not only with them as... There's there's just a lot of boundary crossing in the Freud family. <laughs> uh, because she should not have been having those kids in analysis. Like, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with kind of the code of ethics of counselors... You shouldn't perform counseling on someone who is either like a close friend of yours or a family member, especially, but like anyone who you have kind of a pre-existing relationship, it's generally frowned upon unless there's like no other options or unless there's really strictly defined boundaries. Like there has to be a very specific set of circumstances for that to work. And the Freud's... There, it was the Wild West. We, they, they were starting this whole thing, so they didn't have any of those because Freud analyzed Anna. Yes, a whole bunch, right? Very I much. mean, that was like Throughout one of the her main entire things. Life. Yeah, yes. yeah, which is probably part of what screwed her up. <sighs> we'll get there, man. God, like you said, having, having Freud as a daddy. <laughs> yeah, not who's your great. dad, Sigmund Freud? <laughs> oh, I'm oh, so sorry. God. Oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey, no. Uh, yeah. So then Nazis happened. Mm-hmm. We know this from Sigmund Freud's story. In 1938, Anna was interrogated by the Gestapo about the activities of the International Psychoanalytical Association. Actually, from what I found, this part was really interesting to me. Anna and her brother Martin obtained, it was called Veronal, but it also was called Barbital from their family doctor with the intent of killing themselves if faced with internment or torture from the Gestapo. Wow. Yeah, so they were prepared. They were ready. Yeah, Anna was prepared to commit suicide rather than be interned. Wow. Thankfully, this did not happen. She got out of the interrogation, and after, it did take a bit of convincing for Sigmund to finally agree that they needed to get the hell out Mm -hmm. of Dodge. Um, I remember us talking about that in the first episode. About yeah, <laughs> I I I assume he just didn't want to move because that's where his work was right, and right. family and everything. And it but... was like surrendering. It was like giving up to the bad guys. Right. But he finally agreed, and they they moved the family out of the country. So Anna actually was the one who organized it, and the family relocated to London. In London, Anna and Dorothy collaborated to make the Hampstead War Nursery for kids whose lives were disrupted by World War II. It served as both a home for uh, children who had become homeless, but also as a psychoanalytic program that Anna could continue her studies with these kids. These studies were combined into several books, Young Children in Wartime in 1942, Infants Without Families in 1943, and War and Children in 1943, which are the three saddest book titles (laughs) I've ever heard. (laughs) Ever. Infants Without Families. Good Lord, Anna. (laughs) Not pulling any punches. She's just telling it like it is, Anna. Just telling (laughs) it like it is. is. After uh, the Hampstead Nursery closed in 1945, she created the Hampstead Child Therapy Course and Clinic and served as director from 1952 all the way to her death. Uh, She naturalized as a British subject in 1946. In 1967, she was appointed Commander of the British Empire for her substantial contributions to the field of child psychology. Wow. And in 1975, she received an honorary doctorate from the University of Vienna. And in 1981, she got an honorary PhD from the Goethe Institute in Frankfurt. She is pretty accomplished. She was, yes. Yes. That's that's what's really sad about her story. I mean, I think that 
obviously she really contributed a lot to especially child psychology mm-hmm. but she's so overshadowed by having such a famous father right that people don't really know that anna freud was also extremely influential in psychology exactly so sadly after a long and productive life a lot of contributions to the field anna died of anemia on october 9th 1982 at the age of 87 she was cremated and her ashes were placed in the freud corner in golders green crematorium next to her parents ashes and actually her she was called her life partner dorothy her ashes also rest in the freud section. really mm-hmm. yes so Okay, with that being said, that is the history. I do want to talk a little bit. I, I, I want to dive a little bit into her personal life, just the things that kind of made her her. The first thing I want to note is that there's definitely an issue with how much of Anna's childhood narrative is actually hers because it kind of belongs to the world because of Sigmund. Right. Like, he was the one who chose to put a lot of her story out there in regards to, like analyzing her and interpreting her dreams actually speaking of the interpretation of dreams he put in his book her dreams from when it said when she was 19 months old that can't be true right 19 months yes she couldn't have communicated it to him right yeah well i mean yeah, that doesn't make sense you can't even you're not speaking in like phrases not by sentences. 19 no. months no so i but okay so maybe that was an exaggeration but Maybe she was really smart. Maybe when she, she was, was like talking when she was like seven months. <laughs> but also, like you said, he psychoanalyzed her for several years. Right. Did uh, he psychoanalyze his other kids? You never hear about I don't that. No. You never hear about that. Maybe they were old enough to be like, Dad, I don't want to be in your stupid psychology thing. <laughs> she was the youngest, maybe. She was the youngest. She maybe got the worst of it. And she was the only one that that went into psychology, right? Yeah. Yeah. Freud analyzed his daughter, Anna, as well as a friend of Anna's, Ava Rosenfield, while Ava lived in Freud's household, despite his emphasis on maintaining objective distance between analyst and patient. Do as I say and not as yeah. I do. Yeah. He He's was like, big Anna, I just, no one else will sit on my couch, please. <laughs> Pretty please. And she was so anxious to please him. Yes. And again, okay, so this is one of those things that maybe I am reading too much into it, but I also know this story, and that's why I am kind of back reading some of the Uh other quotes I was saying. Uh, In 1914, when she was around 19 years old, she went to Britain. She, like, went on a trip to Britain. She was chaperoned by her father's colleague, Ernest Jones. Now, I don't know how old Ernest Jones was. He was a colleague of her father, so it's possible that he was younger, but it's possible he was not. Uh Freud found out Sigmund found out that Jones had a romantic interest in Anna and was taking her on this trip because he had these romantic intentions with her already kind of bad because I don't know how old this guy was Uh probably closer to her dad's age Mm -hmm. Freud's advice to Jones in a letter in 1914 was that his daughter does not claim to be treated as a woman being still far away from sexual longings and rather refusing men There is an outspoken understanding between me and her that she should not consider marriage or the preliminaries before she gets two or three years older. She was 19. In 1914, 19 was old. It was time to get married. Yes. Yeah. So again, there's this idea that Freud was a little too involved with his daughter. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm assuming that if if he's psychoanalyzing her, if she's being authentic in that, she's telling him that she's not sexually attracted to men. 
Yes. And so he's kind of saying, okay, there's one of two possibilities. Either he's saying to her, give it some time and eventually you will be. Or he's feeling for her. Like he knows that she's a lesbian and he's trying to give her space. That's not it. That okay, one's what not is it? it. What is it? It's probably closer to the first one uh, because Freud thought homosexuality was like the key to all other mental illnesses. That's true. Freud thought not only that homosexuality was the like gateway drug to just a myriad of mental illnesses, but he also thought it originated with the father. So if he's psychoanalyzing his daughter. Oh, crap. I didn't think of that. She is Mm -hmm. displaying any latent homosexuality. Yeah. He is going to be ruthless to her. Right. So... Yeah, I think there was probably more trying to weed it out of her. Probably. And that's why he was trying to take the time to... Right. Okay. But, okay, that being said, let's talk for a second about her sexual identity. I think this is a really interesting subject. I saw a few sources where she was called a lesbian, called even an open lesbian. And like I said, Dorothy was called her lifelong partner. Right. And they, I mean, obviously Dorothy, like emigrated with them even though she was just an heiress of a really powerful family uh stuff like that but from all personal accounts i could find anna called her relationship with dorothy the ideal friendship it was loving and nurturing she said and she said it also allowed her to both analyze dorothy's kids and also being a step parent to them Mm -hmm. um that that was something that she really wanted to do so really we don't know what her sexuality was that's right I think there's a lot of evidence that says that she probably was in a relationship with Dorothy. I read one account where, I'm not going to get the quote right, I didn't write it down, but it was like someone asked, like there were two bedrooms in that, when they lived together, they had two separate bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And someone basically asked them like, do you have two separate bedrooms? And Anna answered, yeah, we just use whichever one we want. (laughs) (laughs) So... So that if that quote is true, that could be read into a little. But yeah, we can't like... We don't know for sure. We can't. And and this is one of those times where we've got to be, especially with things like gender and sexual orientation, I don't feel right describing that to someone who hasn't come out as that. I agree. And she never did. And whether that was a product of the time, whether it was not only a product of the time, but a product of her Her father. Yeah, yeah. Like if... Even if she did identify as a lesbian but didn't come out, I still don't want to ascribe that to her because we don't know for sure. Right. What we do know is that, like I said, Sigmund Freud called homosexuality a moral and mental death sentence and that it was the fault of the father and she just, she couldn't have come out in that environment. Right. It said she never showed romantic interest in any man. Her... (laughs) This is weird. Her affection and loyalties remained directed to her father exclusively. Mm -hmm. So, And that goes back to that Electra thing that you were talking uh about earlier. So maybe that was it. Maybe there really wasn't. I mean, maybe she was, maybe she was asexual or aromantic. Mm -hmm. That time you made the noise. That was my stools. You got that right. I don't know. Ding. (laughs) I had a good idea. So yeah, maybe she didn't have any romantic or sexual feelings toward anyone because of the really complicated relationship she had with her father. I mean, that's possible too. She was enmeshed with that. Yeah, so we don't know if she was a lesbian. We don't know if she was aromantic or asexual. We don't know, and Mm. it's not our place to say. 
quite mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, if she was alive, we would ask her, and mom won't let us do a Ouija board, so we can't <laughs> ask her. I have boundaries. <laughs> But yeah, like I said, she really did love children. She really desired companionship. The The reason that she described her relationship, whatever it was, with Dorothy as the ideal friendship was because it allowed her to both work with children in a professional context, but also have like a family arrangement. Right. But she learned from her father how to, <laughs> yeah. how to psychoanalyze your own family. 101 by the Freuds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, So, yeah, she spent 50 years in some kind of relationship with another woman. We don't know if it was sexual in nature. We don't know if it was platonic. We don't, we we know that they did a lot together, that they, like, opened a home for orphans. So Mm -hmm. I don't think we can, we can say anything disparaging about it anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, it was, she was never open with it. And that's just kind of, it's not our place to make those claims because she never came out. So that's that on that. And she took care of her dad when he was older and yes. dying, right? When he had cancer of the jaw, she Ugh. stayed with him. He was, I think, he was, she was at his bedside when he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What year did he die? Do you do you remember that? Mm, do you I have can that? Find far? out because I, I'm wondering how much went on after that. But in several of the things that I was reading, and they were referring to the fact that like she was the one that stayed true to his theories, basically. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think she tried to do her own thing as well. But Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to do your own thing when you're so... I mean, she was so locked into that just from growing up around it. And she she was part of it. It was part of her. Right. Sigma Freud died in 1939. Oh, so she had a lot of time without him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's probably where her best work came from. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) oh, he's finally gone. Shoo! Now I can do my own thing. Yes. Yeah, my computer's going to say that from now on. Okay. Okay. Alive? Barely. Okay. Let's talk real quick about theories. Talk real quick. Well, as I said, you know, Anna Anna took her dad's stuff and basically... Expanded on it. Expanded and changed it a little bit, but stayed very true to especially the idea of the id and ego and superego. Right. Um, She focused... Much of Sigmund's work was focused on the id and focused on the sexual part of that and she went to the ego and she focused on the ego especially to the point that you know what we think about when we when we talk about her main theories and her main work it's all about the child psychology and it's about working with children because Sigmund did not do that Sigmund only worked with adults and so when Sigmund would work with these adults and he would try to get into their subconscious to find out what had happened in their childhood and where all this was coming from, basically. Mm -hmm. And Anna decided that what she was called to do was to actually work with the children. Right. And to get it while it was fresh, baby. (laughs) Get it while it's hot. (laughs) Exactly. Man, I identify with that. Like, there's times where I'm working with adults and I'm just like, man, if you would have gotten therapy as a kid, this would be so much easier. Oh, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The beginning of her work... As she focused on the ego, in 1936, uh, she wrote a book called The Ego and the Mechanisms of Defense. This was huge in her work, that she talked about defense mechanisms, yes. which was her father's stuff. We love defense mechanisms. We, we do. And if you want to hear more about that, you should go back to the Sigmund. Yeah, we did talk about it a little. I don't think we talked about it nearly as much we as should we do should do just have. A whole, we should do a, we should whole, do a whole episode. episode. Let's do that. 
So she focused specifically on the defense mechanisms. Anna, help me with this one. Help me with... Are you speaking to me or are you speaking to the ghost of Anna? Anna, come <laughs> Anna, through me. speak through Anna, me. Anna, speak through Anna on the other side of the table <laughs> okay. and tell me. So the id that Freud was always focused on, give me the definition of an id. Of id, id is based on the pleasure principle. Mm-hmm. So the id in us is the part that is driven toward pleasure seeking, toward sex and food and the good stuff sleep i guess <laughs> sex food and sleep sex, my food, three favorite wow, things. the best things in the world yeah throw rock and roll in there and you got it baby. i almost said rock and roll but i was like no there's probably a third one that i can actually come up with sex food and sleep yeah mm-hmm. okay so then ego is i think it's hard to define Ugh. i think it's easy to define uh, the way i look at ego is you have to define the super ego first yes which is the super ego is like the social mores like the social standards that you should do this and you shouldn't yeah, do that like this thing, is who you should like be. standards set up and expectations from society and the super ego like tamps down the id and then the ego basically balances those two to find like your actual self and what you actually believe. Right. And so when Freud worked with the id, he talked a lot about the subconscious. Right. And that kind of went back to the, you know, your your childhood, all of that, what happened in your childhood is in your subconscious mm-hmm. and that he was trying to pull that out. The ego, though, is more based in your consciousness and in who, like you said, in who you are. Um, But the defense mechanisms come in uh, when your ego is trying to defend yourself against either things that your id is doing that you don't want to be out there or trying to fight back against the super ego that's being too hard on you. Uh, Defense mechanisms can kind of come in either direction. Yeah, I'm going to totally lose my computer. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Use your oh, podcast words. Cute. <laughs> um, Mom's computer is angry because it's dying. Yes, my computer's angry because it's dying. My paper notes that I did actually print off, <laughs> I left on my desk. And it's been that kind of day, oh. Sipsters. I have had a shitty day today. <gasps> I said it. Oh, man. I said it right out there in the open. <laughs> So one of my favorite quotes that I found from Anna said, creative minds have always been known to survive. (laughs) I just witnessed mom's soul (laughs) departing from her body. It is so appropriate that right in the middle of that that frickin' quote, quote, my computer went totally black. Wait, so I'm pulling this out of my butt right now. This is what I'm, I'm looking you up. Find the quote. Four seconds. Yes. Creative minds have always been known to survive any kind of bad training. Bad training or bad computers. Because because Anna's focus was basically children and and built theories on development, which is right. Which is how she's linked to Eric Erickson. Yeah, I mean that definitely. was the jumping off point there. She believed that you couldn't work in therapy with children the same way you worked with adults. That was one of her big things, which to us is kind of like, well, duh. Duh. But in those days, that was was like a statement that had to be made. You Mm -hmm. cannot put a little kid in psychoanalysis and treat them the same way you do an adult. And so she talked a lot about development. She focused a great deal in her work on the importance of relationship with parents, which... Ooh, I wonder why. Which, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> hmm, hmm. Yeah, you can take that so, so far. <laughs> 
And that kind of goes back to that quote that I love so much about bad training because she talked about, you know, that the kids, this is another one of those dumb moments. Kids can get a lot of negative programming from their parents, whether it's on purpose or by accident, just by watching their parents or by actually direct things that their parents say and do. We all know that we are definitely a product of our parents. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but sorry, Anna. But Why are you? <laughs> I'm yeah, so sorry. clearly I'm, I'm so, so damaged <laughs> from like, I'm having a podcast with my mom. Clearly I don't like you, you are at enmeshed. all. You are enmeshed. <laughs> so she focused a lot on the idea that parents need to parent well. You know, that was a huge thing. But that also, you know, then you can see the contrast there compared to that a lot of her work was with orphans. And like you said in those titles, infants without parents and all that. So she focused on how that affected children. And and, and the big aha moment is that, wow, parents are pretty important. Parents are a really important part of a child's (laughs) life and how they come out psychologically. But that's why that quote's so important. Even if... And so we sit with adults in therapy right. and we talk to them about their past and especially trauma in their past and things that their parents did to them and around them. And you hit a point in that therapy where you say, yeah, we got to process all that and you know get all that out. But we also get to a point in our life where we can change our course. We can choose to not let that bad programming, that bad training, yeah. as Anna put it, make us be a certain type of person. We get right. to choose. She talked a lot, too, about because her father talked a great deal about transference. And we've talked about that in our podcast, that in therapy, transference being that your therapist becomes, for for lack of a better term, in this specific example, kind of like a parent, could be a parent, could be a spouse, could be anybody in your life. You transfer your feelings for that person onto your therapist or that person stands in that place for you. And Freud was big on that. That was one of the reasons he he said he wanted the distance. He said, I, 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 he said, I but used he that because yeah, he didn't. Yeah. But yeah, his basic thing was you have to be totally a blank slate so that blank slate. the patient can put whatever they need to put on you right. onto you. Which is, as a humanist, that's hard because we're called to have empathy and to show that we're a comfort Right. And it's hard to be a blank slate when you're being a comfort. But people can also transfer on to people who are being empathetic to them. That's true. I mean, that's that's why the people, like people who fall in love with the therapist, like that's right. why that happens right. probably because the therapist is showing them a genuine like nurturing and right. a genuine empathy and maybe exactly. they're not used to that. So one of Anna's things that she struggled with a little bit and kind of went back and forth on in her theory was that idea of transference when you work with children. And she said that if children were in a relationship with their parents at the time, so not the little orphan people, but the ones who actually had parents, that it was important that the therapist not be too much in the transference role where they were being a parent Oh, because she wanted the child to really work it out with the actual parents. Sure. So there was a lot throughout her work, she would go back to her father's work. And it was the way I look at it is kind of like, you know, that that 2.0 thing, you know, like, it's yeah, a, it's a little bit for Yeah, she would take her father's things. And she was very faithful and loyal to her father. Sure. And her father's personally or and whatever. professionally. Right, yeah. right. But then she would kind of add a little twist to take it a step further and make it, in my opinion, better. 
especially the developmental stuff, you know, that she that she really was one of the great pioneers in the field of child psychology because of her first steps into that idea that children go through developmental stages. Her father did talk about stages. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he talked about the, they were fun. <laughs> they we talked about great. them in the first episode. Go listen to that. Um, they have very like anal. Words like there. anal and phallic. Oral. Yeah. But she went so much further and yeah. so much more concrete. I and feel like she was like a humanist before there was humanists. She kind of was. That's really true. Because she really did think, oh, these people are in a different place. Mm-hmm. You know, like kids are in a different place than adults. We need to treat them differently. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of revolutionary at right. that time. Right. Like you said, that's a thing that had to be said. Yeah. Treating children is not just treating Little miniature adults. adults. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're a whole different bag of goodies. <laughs> That's how to Bag weird. of goodies. <laughs> so I, I think what I would like to just kind of pull out at the end of those thoughts about her theory. And so her theories were basically developmental, working with children, using the defense mechanisms, um, and focusing on how important, actually, you know, her, her theory was that defense mechanisms, like, they help us survive. Yeah. They are important. They are good, basically. We use them for a reason. Right, right. And so it's not like you would call somebody out on a defense mechanism and say, you should never use that. It's more like uh, being aware of what you're doing. It's that self-awareness piece again. I've called people on defense mechanisms. Oh, yeah, I have too. Yeah, it's always fun. And sometimes (laughs) I I call myself on. Oh, sure. You know, and I think, wow, I'm really... And then it's like, well, yeah, I am doing that, but it's it's helped me get through, so yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm riding this wave of denial all the way. Denial is what I was thinking of, too. Like, that's just going to happen. Yeah. I've used that kind of as a tool with people. Like, especially when we're dealing with something that's really hard to talk about, I'll kind of give them permission to do denial between sessions. Mm. Like, I'll kind of say, like, okay, we're only going to keep this discussion in here. And if it comes up outside of here, you have permission, maybe, like, write it down or maybe just kind of put it to the back of your mind. Don't Mm -hmm. try to deal with it until you're in a safe space to do that. That's a good idea. So, yeah. Yeah, because if if you suddenly have to rip away those defense mechanisms, then you can go into a real spiral. Yeah, if you're left with nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Go slow. <laughs> it defines itself, a defense mechanism. It's yeah. defending you against harm, basically. Yeah. It's you're protecting your brain, exactly. protecting your psyche. So I think the last thing I would like to say about Anna is that it's obvious that she's a very gifted, talented, intelligent person. I know, but what about Anna Freud? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, Anna. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Those are the sex noises. <laughs> No, no, Sorry. no, no. I need to be to fire my <laughs> sex guns my at sex you. sex lasers. <laughs> but, you know, to have such limited education in the beginning, um, and then to come to that point where she had, you know, the honorary doctorate and all that, and, and all that she accomplished and all that she built, and to think of all the children that she helped. You know, she yes. had to have helped a lot of children. And, and to have that you know, we made jokes about what it would be like to have your father be Sigmund Freud, but there had to be some major stigma and stress attached to that. Think of so. the pressure. Oh my gosh. Think of, I mean, she chose to be in it because she was legitimately interested in the theories and she really wanted to be right. involved, but oh my God. <laughs> Do you think she did it because she wanted to please him? Uh, I think there was definitely an element of that. And if he was truly psychoanalyzing her from the time she was like 19 months old... 
she was trained up to be this like lab rat. <laughs> he walks into her room and her blocks are scattered and it says, that says penis. Whoa. <laughs> Marta, get in here. Marta. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's horrible. That is horrible. But probably true. But probably true. But probably true. Okay. That's all I got. Is that that's, all you got? That's basically all I've got. I've got on my little soapbox about not giving people labels without them their permission. Them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree. In this house, we like Anna Freud. We do. <laughs> when uh, I was researching last night, I was talking to Michelle, friend of the show, Michelle, and I was like, I can't. She asked me if I wanted to play cards, and I was like, no, I have to research. She goes, oh, what are we researching? And I was like, Anna Freud. And she goes, do we like her? <laughs> like, yes, yes, we like her. We like her. We do like her. Yes. She's 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 a good She's good a good stuff. egg. Yeah, good egg. I couldn't remember what... <laughs> Can I thank the listeners? Pretty please. May I thank the listeners? <laughs> Mother, may you? Yes. Listeners. <laughs> Sipsters. We're talking to you. Sipsters, my dudes. <laughs> Is that a thing? My this. dudes? Yep, you nailed it. <laughs> we so appreciate that you come and share some time with us when we do our little podcast. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going podcast. with this today. Um, we do appreciate you. We appreciate you sending time. And oh my gosh, we so appreciate the reviews. Oh my gosh. Oh Keep my them gosh. Coming. We Please. love them. We just God, think it's they're great. The, the bee's knees yeah. to hear from you. I get this little weekly email from this this site that kind of aggregates like reviews and stuff that you've mm-hmm. gotten and we weren't getting any for a little while but now we're consistently getting like one or two a week so it's like one of my favorite parts of the week like oh, oh did people say nice things about us again <laughs> oh yay so do set if you haven't yet done a review for us please do that and be sure to include then your physical address yes. send us a email with your physical address so that we can send you a sticker yes because we want you to get a sticker and if you've already reviewed us make another account Review us again. <laughs> do dozens. Do, do dozens do of them. 12 reviews. We'll send you 12 stickers. Don't try us. We have a stack of them. So <laughs> yeah, yes. we can. So thanks for joining us and please be with us next time. Yes, we can't wait for you to listen next time as well. You can find us in the meantime on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you do social media things. We're Freudian Sips Pod on almost everything. Our site is FreudianSipsPod.com. You want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Patreon if you want to support the show. We're Freudian Sips Pod on there as well. And yeah. Keep the reviews coming. Keep the reviews coming. (laughs) We love them. Thank you so much. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Mm